We've been looking at John's Gospel and the remarkable, utterly remarkable view that John himself has of Jesus Christ. He claims that he is the one who is the Word of God, the one who was involved in creation itself, and all those declarations by God in Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let there be creatures, let there be men, that declaration, that word of God, is none other than Jesus himself, to be identified with the person that he knew and lived with personally for three years of his ministry. As I say, an utterly remarkable declaration. But that's the view that John has of Jesus. And that's what we need to grapple with and understand that. John the Evangelist now moves on to talk about the other John, John the Baptist, in a little bit more detail. Because John the Baptist had been stirring up a whole pile of controversy in Israel during that time. Let me read to you. We're looking at verses 19 to 28. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they asked him, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you say? Uh, what do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, you have to understand something of the, the background here. We live in tumultuous times, A.D., 29, 28, something like that. Maybe the time when John was speaking in an occupied country in Israel under the forces of the Roman um, uh, Empire. And here you have a situation whereby there were many people looking for deliverance from Rome, looking for the one who would come and rescue them from this state. It was a dangerous political situation and very difficult for those who are in charge, notionally in charge of Israel, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Levites, those people who were the upper echelons of society, all under the governorship of the Roman governor. And many people were looking, as I say, for deliverance from one who was to come. In fact, they were so seeped in their Old Testament that they understood that there was to be sent somebody from God who would deliver the people. And many of them viewed it in those political kinds of terms. So when this guy, John the Baptist, appears, he's not just a preacher, which is unusual in and of itself, but the most astonishing thing about John the Baptist was that he was indeed a Baptist. Now that might sound um, strange to us simply because we're very familiar with Baptists, but baptism was not a common occurrence in those days. Baptism was something which was significant from the point of view of the Bible and from Scripture. 
And what you found is that the person who was associated with baptism or washing people was someone who was mentioned in the, the Bible as um, someone who would come and cleanse the people. I will wash you with water and you will be clean. And that's part of a scripture which was very uppermost in the minds of those who study the scriptures. I will wash you with water and you will be clean. It's a significant statement because it is um, surrounding this idea of the messianic um, appearance of someone who will deliver the people. And only someone with the authority of God could therefore baptise. So when you talk about John the Baptist, you're talking about someone who's claiming some kind of authority from God himself to do this kind of an act. And that, I think, is what disturbed the rulers of Israel most of all. They said, um, I, um, the, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, no, he wouldn't do that for just any old person. This is someone who's creating a great stir. This is someone who is arousing a huge population. But also implicit in that is this kind of claim that this is someone who is coming from God and who is going to cleanse the people from their sins. Something which the Pharisees and uh, the leaders would not have thought um, to do because these were the people of God and therefore they didn't need cleansing. They stood in contrast to the Romans or the Gentiles who probably did need cleansing from their religious point of view. So here's someone who is cleansing the people of God by this symbolic act of washing with water. So who are you? Under what authority are you doing this? What claims are you making about yourself? They must have had some great debates in the Sanhedrin about who this guy was, what he was claiming to be. Was he a harbinger of God? Did he come from God? Was he acting with God's authority? Who does he claim to be? Does he claim even to be the Messiah, the deliverer of the people? That was the question which they were asking and didn't know the answer to. So they sent a delegation out to talk to him. And this is what they said. They said, who are you? And he did not fail to confess. In other words, he didn't claim to be more than he was. He didn't fail to or, or say, well, I'm, I'm not really telling you. I'm not, I'm not, um, you've got to work that out for yourself. No, he, he confessed freely because they put it to him, you know, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's to come? Are you the deliverer of the people? Is that who you're claiming to be? But he did not fail to confess. He confessed freely, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the deliverer. That left them somewhat perplexed. So they said, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, interestingly enough, um, Elijah, the prophet Elijah, was thought at that time to be the harbinger, the, 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 the herald, the person who came before the Messiah. And there are um, suggestions here um, in uh, Jesus's reply that um, indeed John the Baptist was the harbinger. Interestingly enough, though, John says 
Uh, are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Now that contradicts what was said on the surface by Jesus himself. If you look at Matthew 17, which is where the passage uh, comes from here, which takes this thing. Um, it's Matthew 17, verse 12. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but they did not recognise him, but they have done to him everything that they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So here is Jesus declaring quite clearly, John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah as an emissary, as someone who is expected as a forerunner. Now, our problem then is to understand this section here in John 1, where they ask him, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now, how do we understand John's reply here? I suppose you could, and, and I think many people take it this way, that John is saying quite literally, I am not Elijah. I am not the person of Elijah. I don't, I don't have um, the, uh, the identity of the prophet of old, and I am not that person. But on the other hand, as Jesus said, although he is not the person of Elijah, he comes with the spirit and the uh, power of an Elijah prophet who is doing the same work that Elijah is expected to do, which is to prepare the way of the Messiah. So that may be the best solution to this particular problem that we come across here, that John is not literally the person of Elijah. He's come and lived and died, but he is indeed himself. But nevertheless, he's playing this role. So he answered in a literal sense, I am not Elijah. Are you the prophet? They then asked him. And he answered, no. Now, we have to understand then what, what do they mean by the prophet? And there's a reference here, back to the Old Testament again, of an expectation which the Jews had at this day. In Deuteronomy 18 and verses 15 to 18, let me read to you that passage because this is something which would be uppermost in the minds of those who poured over the scriptures day by day they would have looked and they knew full well that they're expecting someone to come they're expecting the messiah they're expecting elijah they're expecting a prophet they don't know who these people are or they got confused about them i would suspect but in deuteronomy 18 it says here the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from amongst my brothers. That's like Moses. So this is a prophet rather like Moses. Like you from amongst their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. And if anyone does not listen to my words, 
that the prophet speaks in my name, I will call him to account. So you can see that the priests, the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel would be on the lookout. Who is this prophet? When do we see him? And um, they may well be confused as to who he was because they were not that clear on their understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. But nevertheless, at this time, they were looking for someone who was called the prophet. They're looking for Elijah. They were looking for the prophet. They asked if John the Baptist was the prophet, the one from Deuteronomy. And he answered no. So they're a bit of a dead end. They've asked him three questions. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Okay, so finally they're getting a bit exasperated here and they'd like a little bit more information. And finally they said, look, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. In other words, we don't want to have to go back and, and say you stalled us and didn't explain to us who you were. We want to know something we can take back and explain to these people. It's our job to find out who you are. So what do you say about yourself? It's a fair enough question. And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now that's from Isaiah 40 and verse 3. Let me just bring that to your attention as well, directly from Isaiah 40 and verse 3. This is the section, Comfort My People. Anyone who's familiar with the Messiah will know that these are the opening words, if you like, from uh, Handel's Messiah. But verse 3, I am a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, this is an interesting thing that John says about himself, because he is declaring himself to be the one the one who prepares the way for the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, of the Messiah himself. Now, you only have to think of the kind of preparations that are made when maybe some special dignitary comes to your town. If you think that the Queen or the King is coming to, to see you, then what do the dignitaries do? Well, they roll out the red carpet. In fact, in most places, they clean out all the rubbish from all the streets. They make sure that everything looks spick and span. I've known that the, the Queen comes and visits Dorchester or somewhere like that. Then they paint up some of the shop fronts. They clean everything, make it all nice and great and lovely. And no doubt if King Charles comes to see Poundbury, they'll do exactly the same. They make sure that everything is perfectly prepared, and they may even literally roll out a red carpet. Well, this is what John is saying that he's doing. He is calling on people to prepare the way uh, for the coming of the Messiah. Um, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And to make straight is not to, you know, 
to level out the ground, that kind of thing, is just to prepare everything. And um, it's that kind of thing which, uh, which John is doing. I also bring, ought to bring to your attention here another passage which you'll find in Malachi chapter 3 and verses 1 to 3. While we're talking about Handel's Messiah, you might, uh, you might understand some of this too. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can withstand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness. And so preparing the way for the Lord is something which was embedded in the Old Testament. Everybody knew a Messiah was to come, and everybody knew, who read the scriptures at any rate, everybody knew that that way must be prepared by someone or something or other. So John claims that role. I am preparing the way, make straight the way for the Lord. He goes on. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Okay, and this is what they're basically saying. Why then do you baptise if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, these people here, the Christ, Elijah and the prophet, mentioned in the Old Testament, um, linked with the idea of cleansing the people and preparing the way. These are God-given offices. You're not claiming to be any of them. So why are you taking it upon yourself to implement a God-given ordinance of baptism, of symbolising the cleansing of the people and preparing the way? Why are you baptising people with water? What's the point of that? And John replies, I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one that you don't know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, that's interesting because you might think, well, why is that an answer to the question? You know, why are you baptising? And he simply says, I baptise with water, which is a kind of acknowledgement that that's what he's doing. But he says, and there's a contrast here which is being made, among you stands one that you don't know. In other words, yes, I am a harbinger. I am a preparer. I am a herald. I am someone who is preparing the way for someone greater than me. And that's the whole point of the baptism of water. The whole point of baptism by water is that you need to prepare not just the highway, but prepare the people to receive this Messiah who is coming, who can stand at his appearing. He is like a refiner's fire. So people need to be prepared morally and spiritually to receive Jesus Christ. And if you're not prepared morally and spiritually to receive him, then you won't accept him at all. So this is a vital point that I'm making here. 
Yes, I am the preparer of the way. But I'm not just into rolling out carpets here. I'm not just prepared to clear bins and, and make a nice passageway so it, it looks like a good, a good place to come. I'm in the process of preparing men's hearts and minds to receive this one who is much greater than me. And I do so by calling people to repentance and calling them to be cleansed again. And only in that state can they meet the one who is like a refiner's fire. So here is my role, says John the Baptist, to prepare the way of the Lord. And to prepare the way of the Lord means to prepare the people's hearts to meet that person. Because what you have to understand is this is a person of immeasurable greatness, of transcendent power and authority. And unless you meet him on those terms of humility and seeking to be cleansed and in a good and right condition to meet him, appropriately humbled and acknowledging your own unworthiness before him, then you won't be meeting him aright, says John. He is the one who comes after me. In other words, I'm just preparing the way. He's going to follow. You'll meet him soon. He's on his way. But make no mistake about it, this is someone of immeasurable greatness and magnificence, someone to be worshipped. He said, um, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, if you think of that task, untying someone's shoes, that would be done by a servant, but not just you know, a high servant. If you had a, a set of servants in your household, um, there might be a range of servants of different orders. And there might be butlers and people who are in charge of cooking and cleaning and all those kind of things. But the very lowest level of the servant hierarchy, they would be the one who did the most menial of tasks. And you cannot get much more menial than simply untying someone's shoes. So, John here is claiming to be, in relation to Jesus, the most menial, the smallest, the most insignificant of people in comparison to Jesus Christ. And that is, therefore, how we need to look at him. And that's how we prepare the way to meet Jesus, to see ourselves as someone who is unworthy to untie his shoelaces. If we approach Jesus in that way, then, then we have an opportunity to receive him as he should be received. And that's the point that John's making. Just as a sideline almost at the end, he says, all this happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptising. I think this Bethany is meant to be a different Bethany from the one that we meet later on, which is right by Jerusalem. So this is the other side of Jordan, a different kind of Bethany. So it's, it's way up around the area of Galilee somewhere that all this is taking place. So when the Pharisees came out to see him, they'd have travelled quite some way to go and, and meet with this person. But there's John the Baptist preparing the way. And the implication here is that everyone, I suppose, who would meet or encounter this person of Jesus Christ needs to have this kind of preparation 
that John the Baptist is talking about here. <laughs>